0: if it's not usable if it's not intuitive it's not if it's not configured properly um and you didn't train people and enable them to be able to really be productive in that tool it's just going to sit there right people are not going to log in especially if it's one of like 15 different tools that they're having to use so
1: Welcome to RevOps Rockstars in Pursuit of Unicorns. I'm David Carnes.
2: And I'm Jaren Chu. Join us as we interview RevOps leaders to explore the challenges they have faced, the biggest lessons they've learned, and what they think makes a RevOps Rockstar.
1: This show is brought to you by OpFocus, on a mission to help companies run their businesses better by letting you focus on growth while we scale your operations. Let's get this show on the road. Today's guest on the podcast has led go-to-market operations for award-winning consumer and SaaS products mentioned in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Forrester, and TechCrunch. She's the Global Technology Chair for Harvard Alumni Entrepreneurs and a member of the Google Women Techmakers. Today's guest is VP of RevOps at Electric, Julia Kim. Welcome to the podcast.
0: Hello. I'm excited to be here.
1: All right. We'd love to start off asking something that puts you on the spot. Maybe it leaves you a little vulnerable. What's something in RevOps that you've had to learn the hard way?
0: Yeah. The the first thing that comes to mind is um, one of the most early um, tech projects that I had early in my career. Um, And I always think of it as my 150K tech stack mistake. (laughs) Um, because, you know, it had a pretty pricey um, uh, price tag uh, associated with that mistake. And um, it was a time when I really believed that, you know, when there are issues in process or issues in, you know, an org or on the team, that you could fix it with a tool, right? And there are so many different tools out there, and they have so many great features that, you know, it, it seems like a no-brainer. If we just pick the right tool that aligns with the problems that you have and just kind of roll it out, it will just fix itself. And I think the the biggest thing that I learned from that was there is no perfect tool. Um, you could have all the features that you ever want in that tool, but the question really is, like, is it something that people will actually use, Right. And so sometimes you have to actually balance the usability of a tool and the likelihood of, of someone actually utilizing that tool um, over sort of the most feature-rich product out there. And so uh, that was a hard lesson for me, right? <laughs> because I, I come from the technology background. So, you know, I believe in tech. I believe in um, using these, you know, uh innovations to really like kind of leverage. Um, you know, uh, and it makes, you know, things much more efficient and scalable, but, you know, um, that's not always possible because there's a human factor in everything, right? And, and an, an organization is made up of people. And so you, you always have to take that into consideration whenever you think about, you know, any sort of tool that you implement and, um, and really make sure it's the best fit and something that again, people will really use. So yeah, that was, that was a hard lesson. <laughs>
1: Oh, thank you for sharing that, and it made me remember <clears throat> with a little bit of horror of a similar tech tech stack mistake that I had made. With this is going way way back, but people having <clears throat> two new versions of Blackberries, which were not compatible with this uh, ancient CRM system that we were running, and it, and it was just sort of a funny thing. Like, how did we not check that one thing? But I wonder if we all have those uh, tech stack uh, mistakes in our background. So. I think you can be absolved from that, and and your lesson of the no perfect tool is really valuable.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, I think it's because people get caught up in it, right? Because they're like, "Oh my gosh, it has this, it has that, it has this." Oh my gosh, I didn't even think of this, and it has it too. But you know, again, if it's not usable, if it's not intuitive, it's not if it's not configured properly um, and you didn't train people and enable them to be able to really be productive in that tool, it's just going to sit there, right? People are not going to log in, especially if it's one of like 15 different tools that they're having to use. So, yeah.
2: I feel like you're going to have some really strong opinions, Julia, when we talk about, uh, the tech stack portion later in the podcast, um, to start, let's paint a picture for our audience. Who's listening. Um, Let's talk a little bit about kind of your RevOps team and function and, of course, your role specifically. Um, Electric, the company you're at right now, they provide centralized IT management services to a whole variety of industries, tech, marketing, hospitality, healthcare, finance, education. Um, I think you're around between 600 to 1,000 team members now. Uh, Did a Series D back in March 2022. Give me a sense first of what does your RevOps team look like? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, so that's a really interesting question because um, I do feel like RevOps is one of those departments that's kind of hard to pin down, right? It looks very different at different companies. And when I came in, it was a central team, but I really wanted to define the different operational functions much more clearly. And so uh, we have uh, a tech ops team, which is where all of our tech stack lives, um, I have a RevOps manager who um, heads up that, that particular team within our team and manages all of our vendor relationships, um, helps manage. Uh, we actually use Salesforce as our CRM. So we have a number of Salesforce admins who help maintain that. Um, she manages uh, that particular team. And you know, really, the direction we're going is also kind of expanding that to include you know, a Salesforce product manager, you know, more of those roles that are helping the tech stack in particular. Um, We also have an enablement team because one of the biggest pieces is, you know, how can we get productivity and enablement to all of the teams that we support, the go-to-market teams? And so having a strong enablement team is really important, especially, you know, if you're working in revenue operations. And then the operational functions are broken out into marketing ops, sales ops and CX ops. Um, and I think the next iteration for me would be to really kind of build out the the data, the data operations piece, right? Um, we actually have a, a pure data team on the engineering side of things, but you know, when you think about just, you know, how you run a business, the type of insights you need, you also kind of need business intelligence, right? Or data insights, you know, on the, the go-to-market side. And so that's sort of like my next um, wish list for the team. Um, we've come to a really great place, um, you know, in terms of the primary team, the core team,
2: but I think that's the next iteration for where we want to go. I love that vision and you mentioned um, tech ops, which includes that Salesforce piece. You mentioned enablement, which of course is about making sure the tech to your point earlier, right? And that first question actually gets adopted and used. Um, I like how you split out marketing sales ops and especially calling out CX ops. Cause a lot of teams, when they say rev ops, they don't include CS or CX. Uh, clearly that's a big part of you know that entire customer experience. And then the next being business intelligence and business insights, how many people are on the team and how does that headcount kind of spread across these different functions? Yeah,
0: so we have almost 20 people at this point. Um, uh, We have uh, pretty much even distribution amongst all of the the sub-teams. Um, Because if you think about, let's say, marketing ops, we have a senior marketing ops manager, and then he has analysts that support different functions within that team. Um, Same thing for sales ops. And sales ops actually has a reporting analyst because there's so much reporting that, you know, really needs to drive, right, pipeline management. But again, I think, you know, as we move to, you know, sort of that next iteration of our team, you know, we'll be pulling that reporting analyst out and and really kind of developing that that data team um, because I think, you know, that's going to be where all those interesting pieces of information lie, right? And really being able to consolidate all of that information in a centralized place would be really important, especially when you come to things like forecasting, right? Um, You know, providing insights to stakeholders for decision-making, right? And then, you know, even though we have an enablement team, a part of enablement is also really thinking about, I mean, because they'll help them figure out like, okay, what do I need to do? Am I doing it? Right. And if I don't know how to do it, how do I learn how to do it? But, you know, sort of thinking longer term, right. Enablement is also about, hey, I'm doing my job and I'm doing it well, but how could I do it better? Right. So building efficiencies and in, in processes And, you know, that can be very much data-driven, right? Because how are you going to know if someone is meeting or exceeding their goals or maybe not meeting those goals? And so there is a sort of measurement component of enablement that I think the data team could really take on and really provide some really great insights around.
1: One of the things that we didn't share with our listeners in the intro is that you are also an adjunct, adjunct professor at Columbia Teaching, among other things, data science. So, how cool is that? That one of your big initiatives will be to build out a data team. It must be fascinating to have that opportunity as your team and your organization continues to scale to see the need for it and be able to plan that out, think that through, and put the pieces in place. I'm, I'm excited for you.
0: Yeah, no, I, it was actually one of the things that I talked about when I was going through the interview process because. For me, you know, we have a ton of tools out there, right, that promise all kinds of AI-driven um, forecasting or predictive analytics and things like that. But one of the challenges with using different tools, especially as you mature and become much more uh, reliant on the data, the historical data that you have, is that there's only so much customization you can do with those tools, right? There is gonna be a point where you're gonna have to kind of graduate. <laughs> And really think about like, how can I really make sure that we're pulling the best type of insights from the data that we have? And that really means having a a more traditional data team. Um, And so uh, being able to really kind of customize what we do, um, whether it's segmenting customers or segmenting potential prospects, um, looking at, you know, using more complicated uh, formulas or models for forecasting it is important as you kind of mature, you know, from maybe where you started to, you know, where you're going.
2: Julia, we're talking about your team and obviously the team is still growing. And you've got this vision to build out that data piece. When it comes to your role specifically, your title is VP of Revenue Operations what does your personal day-to-day entail when it comes to this many initiatives, this many sub-teams, this many functions?
0: Um, I, I can tell you a lot of meetings. <laughs> um, but the thing that I um, try to emphasize uh, for my team to really make sure that I'm focusing on the right things is really making sure that they feel empowered. Um, because you know there's a reason why you probably hired the people uh, on your team because you saw something that they could bring in terms of value. And and so my job is really on a day-to-day basis, really making sure that my team knows exactly what they need to do. And more importantly, why, right? And how this rolls up into the larger vision for the company. And then really taking all of sort of that strategy and planning that happens at, you know, more the senior leadership or executive level and bringing it down, right? And kind of breaking it up and prioritizing it for my team so that they can actually take action on that, right? You know, do those tactical things to, you know, actually um, execute on on those plans. And so it's, it's sort of a mixture. Um, it's really making sure that my team feels empowered to be able to do those things, understand what's happening, Um, You know, it's it's a lot of people management. Um, But it's also um, the best way I could kind of think about like what I think of RevOps within a larger organization is it's basically a startup within a startup. And so you kind of need to do all the things that you do as a startup as part of your day-to-day job, right? So for example, it might be really understanding what are those pain points for your uh, teams that you're supporting, those go-to-market teams? So, like what's the difference between a pain point for someone who might be working on growth and marketing versus someone who's in CX, right? Um, and really like essentially establishing your own ICP, right? Because if you really understand what their pain points are, then all the processes, all the things that you're doing for those go-to-market teams is so much clearer, so much easier. And it's so much, it really makes that path forward very, very clear for everyone on the team because they understand exactly what's important and how to prioritize. And then sort of on the flip side, you know really communicating the benefits of working with a rev ops team right you know making sure that they essentially have brand awareness right because when you think about a startup it's a, it's about brand awareness right so you know part of my role is really helping not just the go to market teams but you know teams across the organization like product engineering finance really understand like the value that revenue operations can bring you know to their teams and um, and really kind of setting a framework for how we operate, right? So, for example, like if you think of a startup, probably the first thing that you think of is like, oh, we got to put up a website, right? And have like social media accounts. And I kind of think of it the same way with RevOps. We we very actively use both Jira and Confluence, Jira to kind of manage, you know, the expectations from our end users as to what kind of services we provide, right? And then for Confluence, really documenting, like, what is that standard operating procedure when you're interacting with a revenue operations team like ours? Like, who do you go to? How do we prioritize? What kind of information do we need? So, you know, it's really kind of think of, like thinking of RevOps in this, like, startup in a startup. So really my role on a day-to-day basis is kind of like running that mini startup.
2: I love that frame. And as a marketer, I uh, am beaming from the inside because what you're saying about uh, clarifying the path forward by understanding your internal stakeholders, your ICP, right? Uh, Being able to really translate that strategy and like articulate it in terms of initiatives and priorities for the team, Um, making sure you're communicating the value of RevOps. I think those are so essential in being able to tie things like... um, ROI or trying to understand the impact of a RevOps function within a business, right? Because otherwise it can be seen as a cost center. So I, I do want to spend a couple minutes there. You know, how do you articulate that impact in tangible ways? Maybe it's specific um, metrics you're tracking. Maybe it's specific um, narratives you're using. How do you articulate that impact that you are doing and providing for so many different functions within the business?
0: Yeah, it really varies. And you're absolutely right. Like so very much like a startup where you're managing your budget, right? And you have to think about like, you know, investment rounds, right? <laughs> you you kind of need to think about it in the same way from a, a RevOps team perspective, right? You're managing your, your budget and it usually involves people, right? But the thing that's a little bit unique about a RevOps budget is traditionally there's usually some sort of tech spend, right? And so a lot of the value you can bring is really making sure that you're very on top of that tech spend, right? Because all of those costs bubble into that total cost in acquiring that customer, right? Because when you think about acquiring a customer, right, it's not just the cost of like marketing, right? Those ad dollars, not the co- not just the cost of like that salesperson. It's also cost of all those tools that you're using in order to, you know, get those leads and process those leads, enrich those leads, move them through the pipeline, right? And so, you know, part of RevOps is really thinking about it from many different perspectives, Right. And that financial component and really being being very clear on what the value is for all of those pieces of tech spend that you have, so important. And then also provides that case when you're going back to finance to say, hey, you know, I think we've gotten to the point where we actually need a forecasting tool, right? It's not enough to just be working out of Excel. We actually need a more formal forecasting tool. You have an argument because you've brought so much value with the, the, the tools that you've you know, kind of put in your tech stack and 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 can make that case for, you know, providing further value. Yeah. So,
2: yeah. That's really a great analogy. I like that you continue to build on the startup within a startup analogy where in this case, um, it isn't, I, I often hear a lot of uh, RevOps leaders talk about how the business might not understand some of the efficiency initiatives they're trying to roll out or um, not understanding some of the tech initiatives that they're working on. But when you understand it in the context of, How does this fit into that total CAC, you know, customer acquisition cost? Um, How how do I articulate the impact just like I would articulate the impact in a business to a board in each investment round so that I can get that next round to build the business or in this case, build your next vision of the RevOps team? I think those are very, very powerful ways to just reframe how should RevOps leaders communicate.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then also, it's also about, um, uncovering insights, right? Because when you think about those um, areas where you might have gaps in your revenue or revenue loss, right? Like areas where you're, you're, you're generating that revenue in the front end, but you're—it's literally going out the window on the back end, right? You know, that's a really great way to be able to say, "Hey, you know, this is how RevOps can really uncover those areas and help you find processes, either manual or automations, um, to really address those issues, right? To reduce um, those those gaps, right?" And, you know, I I think about things like um, customer retention, right, is always a big, um, you know, thing on people's minds, right? Like, you know, what's our churn? Like, you know, how are we retaining customers, right? Like, how are we even upselling on those customers, right? And so really thinking about, like, how you can align Um, both the data that you're collecting and the processes that you support to those, those core questions, right? Those core things that can really impact revenue and really kind of always tying it back, right? You know, to something that, you know, has a direct business impact is so important.
2: Last question before we move on to some of the topics a little bit broader than RevOps within uh, your company do you have an opinion on in-house RevOps, uh outsourced, offshore? How do you divvy up work? Um, I, I know for a lot of teams as they're growing, they can't hire fast enough, right? So how do you balance uh, what do you need to do in-house versus what you might rely on an outside third party to help with?
0: Yeah, so I definitely um, use both, right? We We obviously have full-time employees, but we do... Um, have a couple consulting uh, firms that we work with and also freelancers that we also work with. Um, and really it's, it's non-critical work most of the time, right? Because you want to make sure that all of those strategic projects that have really high visibility and significant impact are actually led internally, right? Because the, con- the consultants that you work with are only going to ask the questions that they have in front of them. There's usually like a workbook that you probably start with at the kickoff meeting and you kind of work through the workbook and, you know, it's a sort of standard set of questions, but there's probably something very unique and different about your organization. Some kind of quirk from like maybe two years ago that like someone forgot about that only one person knows about on this particular team or whatever it is. But the the idea is that you really need to have internal resources that really understand the company, understand the direction, understand the vision, really guiding those projects. So in those cases, you know, we'll have consulting teams that really do sort of the the bulk of the work, but the really strategic pieces are really done in-house. Um, and then also, you know, just because, again, like hiring is a process and finding the right fit is a process, You know, sometimes we'll um, hire people short term. For example, you know, we were in the process of looking for an additional Salesforce administrator. Um, We actually had a freelancer working with us. Uh, We had contracted uh, them for uh, about three months, you know, knowing that it was probably going to take about that amount of time for us to fill that full time role. So really kind of using that flexibility To be able to do that. And then, you know, building those relationships because there may be a time, you know, I don't know, months from now where you're like, oh my gosh, there's this important project that came on, you know, like, you know, in in through the the organization. And we need to kind of spin up a resource really quickly. So having those relationships with those contractors, relationships with those consulting firms is really, really helpful because they might have worked with you previously. They kind of know how your organization works. They know who the players are. And so they can get you know, onboarded much more quickly than someone that you're just kind of like, wow, I just met you. And now I have to explain like what the vision is and, you know, how we work here and all of that. Right. So um, it's still important, even if you don't have, you know, large scale projects to have those types of relationships. So you can be flexible, especially if you're at the stage, for example, that we're in, I feel like most startups, when you're kind of like, in that growth phase, you know it's going to be growing really quickly, and then maybe slowing down a little bit, right? And so you need to be able to be flexible.
1: Um, I'm curious, uh, Julia. Do you own cross-functional corporate-level initiatives on your team?
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, I think that's one of the the beauties of working in RevOps. right? We we tend to be very cross-functional. Um, and we, we tend to know a lot about a little, you know, a, a lot and a little about almost everything, right? <laughs> and so, um, you know, uh, things that we tend to be involved in is um, like tech stack consolidation, right? You know, as a, as a SaaS company, you tend to very quickly kind of collect a number of different tools. Um, and sometimes there's duplication of effort, right? There are tools that do the same thing, but maybe live in different parts of the org, um, you know, onboarding and offboarding is also something that, you know, rev teams tend to be very familiar with. <laughs> Uh, because you know you're usually managing the tech stack. And then, you know, when you kind of think about the larger org, you're again like sort of in that startup in a startup, you know, analogy, you know, you're you're kind of replicating a lot of what's happening, right? So whenever an, a new AE gets onboarded, right, you're probably adding them to your CRM system. And it's probably the same or similar process that your internal IT folks are doing. And so why not optimize that, right? You know, always looking at ways to you know reduce um duplicative uh, processes. And, you know, system imp- implementations are usually um, pretty common for cross-functional um, initiatives, right? Making sure that data flows from end to end, right? Or, you know, if there's any integrations that, you know, we're, we're able to support those. Um, data initiatives usually are, you know, uh, very much cross-functional because uh, there's probably different systems that you have to pull that data from. So, yeah, absolutely.
1: And uh, you, you talked about the tech stack, so I, I have to ask: while we're while we're in, on this topic, are there any tech stack tools that you just couldn't live without?
0: Yes, I mean, I think you know you, you tend to think of the the typical ones, right? Like you must have a CRM system <laughs> um, and you know uh, some kind of marketing automation uh, system. But you know, for me, the thing that I lean very heavily on is lead routing, right? You know, making sure that those prospects that come in, especially inbound ones, are being, you know, just handled v- with the m- utmost priority, right, um, because you just don't want them to kind of sit in the system. And, you know, that that's a process in and it, of itself, right, to optimize that, Um And, you know, making sure that um, leads are moving through the system in an efficient way, right? It's not just, you know, did someone touch this this particular lead, you know, within the first 30 minutes of it's coming in, but, you know, is it actually making it to the next stage, right? Is it moving to the right person, Um, especially if you have, you know, different configurations, like maybe if you do territory management or, you know, maybe you're you're, um, kind of, um, you know, Uh, categorizing by verticals or industries or something like that, but, you know, just making sure that things are moving efficiently and that's something that you can always automate, right? It really shouldn't be a person who's like literally sitting there like, okay, I'm going to put it in this queue for the, you know, so-and-so, right? Um, Those are any, any sort of that manual routine um, type of work, just automate, right? So that you can free up your people to do much more strategic and um, value-led, you know, tasks
1: yeah it makes so much sense um, I'm curious where do you go for an at a glance view of how the the business is doing and how uh, your revOps team is doing
0: yeah definitely dashboards um, we use Salesforce dashboards uh we also have uh, a looker um, uh workspace where we have a number of different dashboards but um it's definitely one of the areas that we would like to do a better job of uh, we also rely fairly heavily on you know um you know, uh, Excel reports at this point. Uh, one of the things that we're actually actively looking at is a forecasting tool, which, you know, I feel like um, we've done a decent job of doing it, you know, using the dashboards and sort of reporting that we have, but I think we've really kind of graduated to a point where we do need some something a little bit more robust. Um, and also, you know, to provide the level of visibility across the org, because I think there's an opportunity, right, to really go from literally the AE level up to, you know, the CEO to really make sure that everyone knows what's happening, right? And not only that, but there is a single source of truth for that information because right now there are actually multiple sources uh, for a lot of the forecasting data that we look at today. Um, And, you know, we we definitely want to change that. Um, but you know it's really important, especially for things like that, to to just you know be able to trust that data, right? Because you're you're <laughs> you're making important decisions based on that.
1: Well, as a data science professor, you must be very excited to get your hands on some some powerful uh, BI technology.
0: Oh, Oh, one hundred percent! And not only that, but it's funny because when we go through the vendor calls, um, you know they'll be like, "Well, the AI is going to predict," you know, blah blah blah, and I'm like, "Okay, well." Let's talk about that. Like, how long does it take for, you know, that model to get trained up? Like, what kind of data, you know? <laughs> so like, and, and they're always like, uh, let me get back to you.
2: <laughs> I, I love that because I, I love to be able to tell vendors, like, don't AI me. Like, you, don't don't just tell me it magic, automagically happens in a black box, you know? Like, give me some understanding. As someone who's inquisitive and curious about the tech, and obviously, you know, like, AI just becomes this kind of blanket answer for a lot of these calls now.
0: Absolutely. And and one of the things that is always concerning to me is there is a difference between AI and predictive analytics. Um, and so it's really important to understand, like, what terminology are they using? Because there is a difference. And then not only that, but what mechanism are they using to make those predictions, Right. Because when you think about this idea of making these predictions, right, like you wanna think about data accuracy. So if they're like, hey, we can just install it you know, in your environment and you can start using it right away, that that's a red flag right there. Because you may not have the cleanest database in the world. You may have reps putting all kinds of data into your database. And that's going to result in terrible predictions, right? Terrible outcomes, terrible forecasts, right? So you want to make sure that you have data accuracy in your database before you overlay any sort of AI on top because garbage in, garbage out. And so things like that, or like whether they use historical data or not, right? Because if they're not using your historical data or they're only limited to being able to use, let's say, the, the you know, trailing I don't know, 60 days of data, that's a very different outcome than using maybe a year's worth of data or two years worth of data, right? Or thinking about things like market trends because if they're just looking at your historical data, they're just kind of comparing how you've performed in the past, right? But the ones that are really great that are also are the ones that are also incorporating market trends, right? So taking this external data incorporating that into your historical data, and then providing you with much more accurate outcomes. And th- that takes time. You know, So if they're like, yeah, you can have that data in, in an hour, I mean, that's really unrealistic. Uh, you, I would not be surprised if they said it took at least a month for your model to really understand what's happening in the market compared to like what's happening in your particular um, organization. And then also thinking about things like seasonality, right? You know, different uh, industries go through different, um, you know, periods of like hyper sale and then, you know, maybe less, right? And so, you know, does that model take that into account, right? Because if you have seasonality in your sales, you know, cycle, then that really needs to be accounted for in that AI. And so if it doesn't, it's not going to be as accurate, right? Because it doesn't understand that there's there's a, a cyclical nature to your your process. So things to think about.
2: Those are really important distinctions you've called out, you know, the difference between using the term predictive versus AI uh, and what you're also saying around how do you bring in external information about those market Trends um benchmarking you know that's always a really challenging aspect revOps leaders are trying to do how do you benchmark against how the rest of your segment or your competitors are doing and I suspect that you know as quickly as AI is expanding it probably still doesn't beat the narrative and the capability of uh experienced revOps leader who's keeping their uh keeping the their hands on the pulse of everything happening in the market, when it comes to contextualizing what's happening within your business um, from RevOps to folks like your investors or the board, what does that narrative shaping process look like for you? And I know in in your past, uh, you've also presented to the board before. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your process and approach to help make sense of this data that you're generating within the business.
0: Yeah. I mean, it really is painting that narrative, right? Uh, Because I think um, when you think about presenting to the board, that's a very different um, sort of narrative than maybe what you might tell your team, right? Because if you're having like a weekly forecasting meeting where people in that meeting need to take action on the data that you're talking about or looking at, That's a very different discussion than the board. The board obviously is looking at revenue. They're looking at financials. They're looking at you know how is your product developing, and so you need to build all of these pieces into that narrative, right? And really focus on the areas that they may have questions about, right? Um, The the number one tip that I usually give is you know the thing that you're most kind of like hey, let's try to, you know, put this under the rug because we're really nervous about that. That's the area that you should spend the most time, right? Because you want to be able to really talk about it with confidence and have the knowledge both at the detail level and also the high level to really kind of be like, I understand this as a concern, but here's the three things that we're doing to address it. Yes, we have a plan. If this fails, you know, this is our, you know, our estimate is the impact, but, you know, here's the upside, right? And so that's really the area that you should spend the most time instead of, you know, I think we all kind of are like, oh my God, like, I just don't want to deal with this because it's, you know, it, it's, it's something that's stressful, but that's actually the area that you want to spend the most time, right? To make sure that you're really confident about that because your investors will sense that, your board will, you know, sense that, they'll be like, hmm, they didn't talk about this or they kind of moved through this really quickly. Like, what are they hiding,
2: right? So, yeah, so that that's my such tip. Such good advice. And it is it is that sitting with discomfort that will actually then hatch whatever that solution is, right? The whole idea, the whole point of that board presentation is also to ask for help. And depending on the size of the company, of course, and where they are in their funding rounds, but to be able to say, these are some of the things we're hoping to to introduce uh, as ways to mitigate this challenge how do i tap into your various networks and your resources so that we could you know solve this problem together
0: yeah absolutely and i think the most important thing that you can do in working with your board is really keeping them in the loop right because it really shouldn't be a surprise to them when you show up to the board meeting that x y and z has happened right you really need to be months ahead of time kind of bringing them along the journey right and really kind of showing them that you're really actively thinking about What is that strategy? What is you know if if there is a pivot needed, what does that pivot look like, and how are we you know sort of weighing the pros and cons and looking at impacts to revenue or impacts to costs or you know whatever opex or whatever, Um, but you know really kind of taking them along the journey, and as you were saying, really like leaning on them because they're there for your success, right? And I think that's one of the great things at Electric. We we do. A fantastic job, Ryan is our CEO. Fantastic job of really, you know, keeping that active relationship with our board. You know, really being engaged, and then leading on them for areas that we're maybe a little weaker on because we want to be stronger, right? And them seeing us actively try to work through that is always a confidence builder, right? You know, you want to be on that list of people who are, you know, hey, like. They're working on it. I'm not worried. You know, we might have to put a little bit more in that, you know, that bucket. But you know what? They have a plan. They're trying to move forward. They're testing things out. Okay. They they hit a you know a bump, but that's okay. Right. Whereas like the startup over here where they're just kind of floundering and and just like, yeah, you know, we, we don't know what we're doing. Like that that's a problem.
1: So so far we've talked about a number of topics you've shared about yourself. You have shared about the, your team, uh, some of your your thoughts about the technology that you work with and and, and data. Um, like to talk to talk about you for a little bit. So you're based in New York City.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You did an undergraduate degree at Johns Hopkins.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You did a
1: master's degree at Harvard. Um, uh, you, your prior role, you were in RevOps, strategy, and go-to-market at the Brelli Group. And mm-hmm. and in your background, you've you've had some really interesting roles over the years. Uh, different types of ops-related uh, roles, so really quite an quite an impressive background. Um, how did you get into RevOps?
0: Yeah, it was uh, an evolution. <laughs> I like to call it an evolution, um, and I I kind of think of it as um, how RevOps has evolved, right? Um, if you really think about the terminology, revenue operations, it really kind of didn't exist. Um, maybe, I mean. I think I first heard of it maybe about five, six years ago, um, really. But, you know, for those of us in the the operational space, um, especially if you had some sort of technology background, it was kind of what you did anyways. But yeah, I actually started in technology. Um, I was a chem major, but learned programming, some basic programming, um, and really kind of um, thrived from a, a technology perspective. But you know my personality <laughs> is is a little bit more outgoing and external and uh really got curious about just how the business ran um and uh i would say about 15 years ago i decided you know hey like i really like this idea of working at uh, startups and um and really kind of focused on operationalizing things and use technology um, to do a lot of the heavy heavy lifting um And, uh, I remember there was this one company I worked at, uh, where, you know, I was, uh, I think employee number three or four and, uh, and we, we literally had nothing. And I was like, okay, well, we, we got to come up with a, a system to manage our customers and, uh, you know, let's, let's just do it. Right. Um, and it was just really great being able to, combine right the technology aspect with the operational aspect and and if you think about revenue operations now that really is what it is right it's combining you know the the sort of people process the data the technology and kind of like mixing it all together and so it was just this slow kind of evolution of what i was doing at each place and really optimizing it and the the successful um the companies that had the most success right were the ones where those go-to-market teams were so aligned and the data was just really crystal clear that it was just okay. Well, this is the obvious next step because that is where you know our data is telling us to go, where our processes are, are telling us to go and our customers are telling us to go, right? Because everything was aligned. And so that's sort of like the optimal scenario for RevOps. But yeah, um you know it's interesting i i mentor a, a lot of uh different people both startups and individuals and the number one question i usually get is you know how, how do i get into revops right you know do do you have to have a background in a revops and i'm like no 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 um it, it's a relatively new term like <laughs> you know um so you're you're fine um but you can really come into it in a number of different ways. Um, if you happen to come from sales, right? And maybe you were an AE for a number of years and and you know, kind of had a, a like a, a knack for operationalizing your your you know your process, your sales process you know, that's a really great way to kind of dip your toe and, and get into sales operations. Right. Which is a, a, like a rev ops function. Right. Or, you know, if you're in growth and you're like, Hey, you know, I kind of want to expand what I do under this umbrella of growth. Right. You know, marketing ops is a really great way to dip your toe. And, you know, if you're more of a traditional operations person, right. You know, that's fantastic. If you can really kind of dig down and, um, not just think about process because I think when you think about operations, it, it tends to be very process driven or methodology driven. you know, start to incorporate much more of that technology, right and really start thinking about it from a holistic perspective. Uh, that's really where that Revot's magic concept uh, kind of comes into play, right? because you're you're really looking at things from like both the 10,000 foot view. Um, and sort of like the very, very detailed view, right. To actually execute. So it, it's sometimes schizophrenic because you're, you're kind of like going from like this very high level view down to like the details, but that's really what you, you kind of have to do on a day-to-day basis.
1: Oh, those are such great in- insights. So you're coming up, you, you've passed a year in your, uh, uh, in your role, uh, on your way to a year and a half. Can you tell us what electric does?
0: Sure. Sure. Um, so when you think of IT services, um, it's always something that people just are like, oh my gosh, I just know I know nothing about technology. So really, Electric is trying to reinvent how businesses manage their IT. Um, and uh, we provide real-time IT support to um, about 50,000 users, and we provide centralized IT management for over 900 customers. Um, and it, it's been really effective because we've been op, uh, able to um, help companies really reduce their IT spend in a significant way, often you know up to fifty percent in some cases, and um, allowing companies to standardize security across devices, apps, networks, you know whether you're on site or remote, and that's a really big deal, especially if you're a small or medium business, right? That's we're in the SMB space. So really, we're really trying to make IT easy for SMBs, and and really kind of centralizing around the the four core pillars of IT management, which is employee offboarding, employee onboarding, real time IT support, and hardware management, and then also kind of like security at the device, application, and network level. So yeah, um, we're we're definitely um, trying to do a lot. Um, I, I think our tagline is "IT powers business uh, businesses, uh, electric powers IT, right?" So, um, but we we really want to be um, the de facto IT solution for SMBs and startups all over the U.S.
1: Great, thank you for sharing that. Um, if you could go back those 14 months since you started and give yourself one piece of advice on that day one, what what would it be?
0: Mm. Um, it was funny because my first day was, you know, like trial by fire. Um, and, uh, and I think the thing that, you know, when you, when you come into a new organization, it's always hard because you're like, I don't know what I'm doing because it's day one, but then you have like, all these emails, people, you know, wanting to set up time with you and you feeling like you need to be an expert, you know, just kind of cut yourself a little bit of slack, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, it's it's actually really great. Electric is a very employee-friendly company. They have a whole sort of uh, people ops or HR-led um, orientation that happens the first day. But actually, my first meeting of the day wasn't the, hey, welcome to Electric meeting. It was a, a I think it was a pipeline forecasting meeting, so <laughs> it was quite intense. But you know, I think uh, anytime you start something new, right? Just just remember, you know, it's okay. <laughs> uh, you're the new person, and and people are probably not going to expect you to know much. Uh, m- maybe ask you a lot of questions on day two, but you know, day one, eh, you know, just
2: just try to make it through the end of the day. <laughs> And speaking of starting something new, I know when we were chatting beforehand, um, you know, we commented on just the waves of uh, talent that are out there right now, you know, suddenly available um, on the market again, looking for new opportunities in RevOps. Any advice you would give to the folks um, who are either looking to start RevOps careers or already very far along, very advanced in their RevOps careers and are looking for new um, new opportunities, new adventures?
0: Yeah. So two pieces of advice, because I've um, been interviewing a ton of candidates and um, some of the the best candidates have asked, you know, what did you think of, um, you know, the interview? You know, was there anything I can improve? And I'm like, oh, yes, I love this question because I love giving feedback. But number one is really try to be as specific as possible on projects that you've worked on. Um, I think a lot of people can talk about sort of concepts, uh, that are used within RevOps, you know, maybe people will even throw around ARR or MRR, right? But really talk about, you know, the projects you've worked on and it can be small, right? Because the idea is that, you know, most companies are looking for someone who may not know exactly that particular thing that that company is doing, but can really adapt and learn and take the learnings from what they had done before and apply it in this new space, Right. And so, talking about projects you've you've worked on will show like how you've approached the strategy and you know executing that project. You know how you communicate with the stakeholders involved with that project. What you consider successes, right? So, just kind of telling that story so that they can really understand like your approach is really important. Um, and then the second really big important tip is nothing speaks to me more than data, right? If you can talk about a project and be like, "Yeah," and not only that, but it, you know, increased efficiency for our AEs by ten percent. That's amazing, right? Because it shows a, a level of maturity that I think um, you don't always see, right? Because a lo- there are a lot of people who can do the, you know, the task at hand, but the the candidates who can really kind of think about how do I measure success, and not only that, but make sure that success is applicable, right? To the business values that we care about, that that's really fantastic. And so those are my two tips. You know, really be prepared to talk about a project you've worked on and it can be small, medium or large, and then really kind of incorporate data into what you've done so that you can provide a little bit more maturity and a little bit more of that data driven decision making into your um, interview process.
2: Excellent advice. Um, when it comes to your own career, you've done a whole bunch of interesting things, a lot of different operational roles. You've been teaching, you've been advising. What remains on your career bucket list? Um, I think that's the
0: beauty of life, right? I I actually have no idea. Um, The one thing that is consistent for me is I'm always very, very interested in technology. Um, One of the companies I worked Previously, um, was doing really cutting edge work around AI and computer vision, and that just really engaged me, right? Because even though I'm with, you know, within sort of the operational piece, right, with RevOps, um, you still get to learn about that technology, right, and you still get to kind of interact with that and like customize all that experience that you've had to that particular experience. So uh, for me, it's, you know, what is that next big tech thing, right? Is it blockchain? Is it the metaverse? Is it web three? I don't know, Um, but I'm really excited to kind of see where things go. Um, And it kind of also goes back to, you know, um, I I think it's really important to keep on learning, right? Um, Because as you sort of self-develop, right? Opportunities are just gonna appear in front of you. Um, and those are the best, right. Because it, it sort of aligns with what direction you're kind of naturally moving in. Um, and so for me, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts. (laughs) Um, I happen to really love financial podcasts, um, because, you know, uh, there's so many different things and, and, and approaches you can kind of learn and apply from finance into, you know, sort of like rev ops. Right. Um, and, you know, reading a lot, um since I, you know, have a data background, I, I, um, there's a particular publication on medium called towards data science, which is really great. uh, if you're sort of starting out in your data science journey, um, there's some really great basic, uh, tutorials and, uh, articles. Um, so I definitely recommend that. The other thing I love doing, um, is talk, talking to vendors, actually. Um, they're, they're the bane of my existence sometimes, but, um, uh, I also love talking to them because uh, you can talk about, you know, what they're working on, like, what are the strengths of their, their, their apps? What are they afraid of from their competitors? And they'll often tell you like, what's sort of coming up and what will also help you kind of think about like, whoa, how can I optimize what I'm doing? If this is what's coming up. Right. And uh, if you're not doing it, like, Hey, maybe, maybe we should be doing, it, right. <laughs> so that's another way I, I like to kind of keep on top of things.
1: So you keep yourself pretty busy. Clearly, you're mentoring. You're on a on a Harvard uh, council, uh, teaching uh, on top of the day job. What do you do to unwind from all this?
0: Uh, weirdly, crossword puzzles. Um, mm-hmm. I do the okay. New York Times crossword puzzle every day. Yeah.
1: Very cool. That's good to know. Yeah. Um, Another question for you. So you've talked about some of the resources that you turn to, podcasts and, and sites that you, you like for learning. Uh, are there people out in the RevOps community that you admire that you think might be good guests on the show and maybe our listeners should follow and 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 seek out?
0: Well, if you haven't um, checked out their site, the Winning by Design is just a really, really fantastic resource. Um, There are a number of people in the community that you can reach out to. I'm not going to name specific names, but, you know, just really, really great content and really um, great insights depending on what your business model is, right? So if you're starting out, that's another really great resource because I think a lot of times we get caught up in sort of the the day-to-day, right? Versus like thinking about it, you know, from a a holistic perspective uh, because, you know, uh, you really do have to look at it from the marketing, sales, and CX perspective, and then also with that fin- like that sort of financial tint, <laughs> as I call it. Um, but that's one of the um, number one resources that I recommend to people because it's very accessible, and there's a ton of great visualizations if you're the type of person that needs to kind of see like the the picture. Um, so I would say check that out.
1: Okay, that's great. Uh, we'll have to get together for lunch with one of their uh, managing directors that that we know uh, when next time I'm down in New York City. That would be fun.
2: Now, last but not least, where can people find you, Julia? Where are you active online?
0: Yes, I am on LinkedIn. Uh, I oh, actually, one thing I do want to um, share is that. One of the questions I get often um, is around uh, what what metrics should we use? You know, what do SaaS companies care about? And so I'm actually putting together an essential SaaS metrics series that I'm going to post on LinkedIn um, next month. So um, what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to go through um, sort of like the top 10 uh, metrics so that, you know, people can really understand like, what does this metric mean? How do you calculate it, and how does it sort of tie back into the business, right? Because a lot of times people say, "Okay, I understand what ARR is, but like, what does it mean? Like, what do I do with this?" <laughs> so um, I'm I'm putting that together right now and uh, hope to get that up on LinkedIn uh, in March. And um, you know, if you're interested in learning more about electric and IT services, uh, you can check us out at electric.ai. Um, But yeah, um, hopefully you'll find some of those uh, metrics series interesting and helpful.
1: Well, we certainly look forward to seeing that work when you, when you publish it. And we'd love to help, help share that out with our listeners and, and uh, just even internally within OpFocus as well. So um, uh, you have shared so much with us uh, today. Thank you so much. Uh, you've shared about uh, how you, you're building your team. You've shared about uh, thoughts about data science. You've talked about tools. You've talked about mentoring. So many great things. I'm so happy for our listeners uh, that are that are still on on the episode that they've heard all this from you. Thank you so much, Julia, for joining us today and being on the podcast.
0: No, thank you for having me. I mean, this has been fantastic. I love talking about uh, technology. I love talking about RevOps. And, and I think That's the great thing about podcasts. You can listen to a little bit. You can listen to all of it, and you can always share it with others. So I hope if you're listening, that you share it with others, so they can be clear about what RevOps is. Because I think again, you know, it's so different in different organizations that you know maybe what worked in one company may not work in the other. Um, And to hear about all these different aspects of it is is helpful, right? To really make sure that you customize it to what works for you. And
2: Audience members that are listening, do what Julia said. Share the episode. Uh, Certainly, if you're looking for new RevOps roles, RevOps positions, and you you found the advice that Julia shared uh, useful, um, share that broad and wide. I know a lot of folks out there looking for new opportunities right now. So uh, let's help each other out and um, continue the learning together as a community. Thank you, Julia, again, for such great advice and wonderful tidbits throughout the podcast today. Thank you. And this has been another exciting episode of RevOps Rockstars. See you next time.
1: Stay classy, Rockstars. And that wraps up another episode. Thank you so much for joining us. For show notes and other episodes, visit RevOpsRockstars.com. RevOps Rockstars is sponsored by OptFocus. Visit opfocus.com to learn more about how OpFocus helps SaaS companies scale their revenue operations.